Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is the Past Lives Podcast, episode 175, and I'm your host, Simon Bound. My mission here at the Past Lives Podcast is to investigate evidence that demonstrates survival of the human soul. We will look at past life memories, near-death experiences, spirit communication, and other incredible phenomena. So this is the free one-hour version of the episode. The extended episode is about one hour, 25 minutes. And to get the access to the extra 25 minutes and the other extended versions of the episodes, you can join the Past Lives Podcast Patreon campaign. When you sign up for $5 a month, you get an extended episode every week. For $2 a month, you can get an extended episode every month. The Patreon campaign has been changed recently, so that the previous 116 bonus episodes have been removed and the extended episodes remain. This means that including this extended episode, there are now 17 episodes that are available to the $5 patrons. You can become a patron by going to patreon.com forward slash podcast, or click on the Patreon button on my homepage at pastliveshypnosis.co.uk. Also, when you book a past life regression hypnosis session with me and you're a patron, you will get a 25% discount. The links are in the show notes and you can find the show notes for this in every other episode on my website. My Instagram is the past lives podcast with an underscore between each word and on Twitter I am at Simon G. Bown. There is a past lives podcast Facebook group and if you'd like to join you'd be very welcome. And this week I'm talking to Donna Rebado. She has had a near-death experience in 1997 and has been aware of her spirit guides and her ESP since she was four years old. Donna has five college degrees and is a retired college professor in the areas of physical education, health science, psychology, personal computers and alternative and Chinese medicine. Also, Donna is the host of the Exploring Consciousness podcast. Hi Donna, thanks a lot for coming onto the podcast. It's kind of you to give us your time. Thank you, Simon. I appreciate you asking me. So um, I was a guest on your podcast and it was great to talk to you. That's the Exploring Consciousness podcast, and we, we had such a good time talking. I really wanted you to be a guest on my podcast, and you've had so, so many experiences through your life of all these different things. So you had interactions with, was it guides and spirits when you were really young? Yes, it probably started, I, I think it came into my awareness when I was about four years old, and I'm one of seven children, so my dad built a swing set in the backyard for all of us kids. 
But at the time, I was the youngest of five, so the, the other ones went off to school. And I remember being in the backyard and swinging on the swing set. And I was going as high as I could to look over the trees. And I remember thinking, but I think that it, the thought came from elsewhere. It's like you're going to spend your life exploring this planet. And I, I remember thinking, what's over the trees? So that's been kind of like my internal motto is what's over the trees. I wonder what's out there. And so I felt like I was, I, I could hear things and I would consider them uh, my guides. I didn't really see them as much as felt them in my body, which I found that's another gift in the paranormal that you can feel things with your body. You can sense them. And then I could hear things. And it sounded like it was in my own voice, but it was things that I know couldn't have been from me. So starting around four, and I could hear things, and I was getting uh, some nudges to go somewhere. So whenever I was walking to school, uh, there, there might be a different path I would take. And it probably was saving me from some misadventures, <laughs> either from things that I might have chosen to do or people that would have tried to stop my path, you know, bullies and things of that nature. So, yeah, I've heard them from a really early age. So you feel them in your body. Is it a, a very distinct thing? So it's not something you can mistake. There's a funny twinge. No, you can have an eye twitch. You know? But no, it was, um, I think, probably started up around my throat or in my chest. And... Then my whole body got involved, and it was, um, I, I know I had to go do something. I had to be somewhere, or I had to take it another road, or I had to ask someone a question um, that did not come from me. And when I was about, I think about eight years old, my sister probably, she, so she's four years older than me, and she, she said something about a friend of hers that she couldn't understand his feelings. And I said, well, just go inside him. And she's like, what are you talking about? I said, well, go inside, go inside his head. You'll know, you'll know what he's thinking and how he's feeling. She goes, people can't do that. And I went, yeah, you can. She goes, do you do that? And I go, I do that all the time. So in school, if I didn't understand the teacher, I didn't understand a classmate, I could quiet myself and go inside their head and I could hear what they were their thought process, and I could feel what they were feeling. And I thought that was just normal, that that's how people talked. And when she told me that that wasn't normal, I kind of stopped. <laughs> yeah. It uh, sounds like something that could be really useful. Did you feel that even at that young age that you had a certain amount of empathy for other people? Because I suppose if somebody's coming across really confident, you'd be able to tell that actually inside they're struggling. Yeah, it was a lot, a lot more of struggling, or they couldn't, they couldn't communicate what they were trying to say, so, or I couldn't understand what they were saying. You know, like what, what's going on here? So for my teachers, it would be like, are they, what are they trying to say? And so I would raise my hand and I go, do you mean blah blah blah? And they'd go, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh okay. So yeah, it helped in school a lot. So even though I stopped saying it, I never, I never stopped being able to do it. And is this something that you now do in adulthood? 
I suppose you have to ask permission first. Sometimes it's it 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 more is like information that I need. It's not like in an. It, that's a great question. It's not like a, it's invasive, in the sense of um, yeah, you can't do it uh, in a in a bad way. You can't be malevolent about it. It has to be very beneficial. But it could, and it's not something I can control. Sometimes it's like you know, it just happens. And more as an adult, it's more like information coming to me as opposed to I'm getting in their head like I did as a kid. So I think it's a more a more mature. As I matured, I think the gift. Well, I know the gift matured. And is it something that's linked to guides? Then do you communicate with them in the same way? That's a great question. <laughs> I mean, it's a little different. My guides um, uh, can come to me in um, again feelings like. Um, certain times they come in this way and give me a thought um, about things I have to do. And then when they come in this way, it's, it's like a telepathic message to ask someone something or to go somewhere and do something. I'm trying to think of what would be a good example of that. When maybe recently, you know, Candy Sanderson and the Reluctant Messenger, in the middle of our talk on the podcast, I could feel something coming here and it was like ask her to ask her this specific question about doing a YouTube channel and so when these things happen as an adult I feel like uh, I'm, I'm, it has to be interpreted through your who you are so I'd say 90% of the time um, it's a good thing and 10% I feel like I misinterpreted what my guides were trying to say and I would embarrass myself Oh, <laughs> and has it ever been a kind of a mediumship skill? Like, I don't know, if you're with somebody and then you feel that that person's deceased loved one suddenly comes to you to try and communicate. It's really only happened in my life about two or three times, so I don't consider myself a medium, but I am taking Susan Giesman's evidential mediumship class to explore that. Um, because the two or three times that it happened, it was so strong. I didn't know what was happening. It was definitely not my guides, not my gift. It was more like I could hear someone else. And I couldn't see them, but it was, you know, tell Ian that I'm sorry. And I so Ian, I'm talking to Ian, and I go, is there, is there a gentleman that needs to say they're sorry to you? And he goes, what are you talking about? And then I could hear some more information. And I, I, I started saying more things to Ian. And he goes, oh, my God, that's my grandfather. And so there was more evidence that came through. And I thought, that's the weirdest thing. I don't think I've ever had that, where I, I had another, someone that wasn't my guide come through and do that. But it healed that family. I was just shocked. So I didn't, I didn't know about mediumship, but... And it happened in another, another example would be, I was at a workshop and there was a person there that I was talking to and I didn't know well, I didn't know them at all. And all of a sudden this time it came with an image. That's the first time an image came in. And it was above me, again to my right, and it was a young man and he was showing a necklace. And I said something to this woman about, um, I'm sorry, can I, can I ask you a question? I don't even know them. And they're like, yeah, what kind of question is this? I said, do you, do you know a young man that 
wants to show you a necklace or something, she about started crying. And it was her son. Her son had passed. And she was wearing the necklace that he had given her. But what I saw in the image was him with the necklace on. And uh, it was a very unique shaped necklace. So it was evidential because I didn't, I didn't know the shape of this necklace that this woman had, but it was the exact same necklace that she, she said, I'm wearing it because my son passed away. That's a kind of evidential thing, isn't it, for you? Because I suppose, in, I don't know if you've ever sat back and thought, you know what, I might just be imagining all this. It could all just be nonsense. But when you get that image and it's perfectly correct, then that's a great verification. Yeah, there's a, so that's, a, that's another good question, Simon, because throughout my life, you know, like I said, that 90% and 10%, um, because my sister said that wasn't normal, I didn't, I tried not to listen for a long time. And then as a, as a young adult, when it started happening again, I go, is that my imagination? Was, did that really happen as a kid? Did, is that really happening now? And then I would get the same kind of evidence. I'd be talking to someone and they're going, yeah, that's exactly what I feel or think, or how did you know that? I got, I got a lot of, how did you know that? How did you know that about me? And I go, I don't know, but it seems like it's important for you to kind of know that. And they go, yes. Was there a point in your 20s when your guide saved your life? Was it a car accident? Yeah. Um, so I, I had a little Volkswagen Beetle, you know, those little tiny cars, <laughs> very small Volkswagen. And I was in, going to school in Texas, and I was on my way to school. And the, the sun was coming up just at the right angle. And I, it was right in my eyes, and I missed a stop sign. And I, so I'm driving through this intersection, and I, and I looked up, and to my right, as I looked, I saw a school bus, but I saw the grill of the school bus, meaning that um, it was coming at me, and I don't know the physics of it. You know, like I'm sure if I sat in a car, I could figure out how close the bus was because I had to look out and look at it. But I closed my eyes because I knew I was going to get creamed. I was going to get T-boned by this school bus. And a Volkswagen Beetle is no match for a yellow school bus, I imagine. So I closed my eyes, and I thought, this, this is it. I'm going to get killed right here. And... I didn't, so I closed my eyes and I hung on to the steering wheel and I, I was waiting for the sound of the accident and it didn't come. And I thought enough seconds had gone by and when I opened my eyes, I'm off to the side of the road, I'm on the other side of the intersection, off to the side of the road parked. And I was like, what just happened here? And uh, later talking to you know, much later, talking to people that I knew were psychics and mediums, someone had revealed to me that that was, you know, my, my angels saved me. I mean, I wasn't, you know, so to me it was like physically impossible for me not to be hit by that school bus. So I, I don't know what happened. It's like kind of like a teleportation. They picked you up and moved you. That's what they said. I thought, well, something happened, you know. I, I'm, not, I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> so. So um, was there something linked to that with your brother in your room? So th that was when I was in college. Back when I was in high school, that's when I first saw my guides. So my brother, unfortunately, was a drug addict. He wasn't 
mentally well. And he, so I had a lot of accomplishments in athletics at the time, and he was quite jealous of the attention I was getting. You know, one of seven, you know, seven kids all vying for attention. I could have cared less about attention. I just liked playing sports. But he, I found out how he was quite jealous of me, and he got drunk one night. And we're in high school, and my parents were gone for the weekend. And I'm, I'm alone in my room, and uh, he came to the door, opened the door, and I, I thought, I knew, uh, again, in my body, I go, oh, he's here to kill me. He's going to kill me. He's, he's that drunk and upset. And so I was under, under my covers, and I was like, oh, this is going to hurt. This is, you know, I'm going to get killed here. And all of a sudden, rushing past me were my guides, and um, it was very much aware that they were stopping him from coming into the room. And I was thanking him. I was just like, thank you, thank you. you know? <laughs> so it was, quite, it was quite some time, several minutes, probably seemed like hours. And um, I was like, what's happening, what's happening? And I could feel them kind of pushing him, not just stopping them, him from coming into the room, but starting to push him away. And uh, then I, I felt uh, safe, protected. I thanked them. Um, but I, yeah, I knew that they had just saved my life. That's remarkable. And it was, you felt it all. Did your brother have anything to say about feeling pushed away? No, um, we, we didn't have a good relationship at all. We never talked. Um, and even into our, when we finally reconciled in our 30s, I never did ask him about that. I never told my family. Um, in fact, if they were listening to this, they'd be shocked. Right, okay. It's just something, you know, that, remember my sister told me that wasn't, you know, you're not normal. That's not normal, what you're doing, what's happening to you. So I was very protective of my guides and my gifts. I didn't um, talk about it. I just would do things without saying where I was getting information from or what was happening. Hello listeners, this is Simon. Now as some of you know, I have a diploma in clinical hypnotherapy and I'm certified in past life regression therapy. And in the past few weeks, I've taken many clients through some amazing and healing past life regressions. And I conduct sessions over Zoom and I've had clients from many countries around the world. Now when you go through a past life regression, you will feel totally in control and remember everything. And also I record the whole session and send you an MP3 afterwards. And this gives you space to relax and go with the flow, knowing that you can listen back later and analyse what you experienced if you need to. So if you ever wanted to explore your past lives in a single session, or have an issue you want to work on, you can go to my website at pastliveshypnosis.co.uk and book a free 20-minute consultation. And at the moment, I'm offering a 25% discount to everyone that has signed up to the Patreon campaign. The link is in the show notes. In 1998, you had a near-death experience? How did that start? So, 1998. Um, so, my, I'm very close to an older sister, my sister Cindy. Very close to a younger brother, Mike. And so, this is Cindy and her husband had a cabin up in the Adirondacks in New York. And we'd gone up there for, I think we'd gone up like a week at a time. And my brother-in-law had a, had a boat. 
because these Adirondack lakes are just beautiful. They're filled with fish. We would go fishing. You could go water skiing. So we were out on the lake, and we had just gone fishing. We'd come in from fishing all morning, and they were converting the boat over from fishing to watercraft. And so we were not water skiing, but we were on a, what's called a lake toy, which is like an inflatable raft that you can get on, hook up to the tow line, and be uh, swung, swung around the lake. It's great fun. So on the boat was my uh, brother-in-law, my sister's husband, and his nephew, and his nephew's baby. So the three guys were on the boat. And our, uh, my nephew's baby was a girl, so they were on the boat. My sister and I were on the, this lake toy called the bullet. It was in the shape of a bullet, so kind of like a pontoon. And so we were swinging around the lake. We were having great fun, and we got thrown off. And when you get thrown off, you have to swim to the boat and get on the boat and then get on the bullet and then unwrap the you tightened up the rope and so you had to let the now you're on the bullet and you had to drift away from the boat so we're drifting away and we're laughing and talking and we're quite a distance now from the boat there wasn't much slack in the rope when my brother-in-law yelled because we're distance away and he yelled the bullet's sinking or the boat the boat is sinking and we thought did we hear that right the boat is sinking now the boat had a special torque plug on the bottom of the boat that every summer you have to take a special tool to undo this plug and it drains any water that got off the boat you know in the boat during the summer so every spring you torque wrench that plug back in nothing no water can get into that boat because of this specialized plug and to say that the boat was sinking to us was like physically impossible. How can this, how can you even have enough water on the boat? We were just playing. You know, we've been out fishing all day. We're now boating. It's, it's impossible. So we're like, okay. So I, my sister's behind me and I watched her go in the water. She had the rope. So she throws the rope off to the left and we rolled into the water on the right and the bullet started going away from us when I looked down and I saw the tow rope wrapped around my leg and I thought that's physically impossible she threw the rope there couldn't have been enough slack for it to drift back then go underwater and get around my leg and I'm going how is this possible so that's what I'm thinking we have our life jackets on and I'm like what's going on and then I hear the boat start up and I thought Oh, he he doesn't know that I'm he doesn't know what's happening you know that the tow ropes wrapped around my leg and I couldn't reach down fast enough to get the rope off my leg you know you I'd have to I don't know what I would have had to do to get the rope off my leg and the boat starts up and I go oh no oh no this is gonna really hurt it's, you know it's gonna strangle my leg so the boat takes off and it it the boat, the rope snapped back and strangled my leg. It actually strangled my leg to the bone. That's how tight it was. And so I'm now being drugged underwater, and I have my life vest on, and I'm thinking, I have five college degrees. I've done all these things in my life. 
there's nothing that I can know or do to stop this from happening. I thought, all that education, all that education, and I can't figure out how to get out of this. So I'm being drug along in, it with such a force that it's the power, the water, the power of the water is hitting my chest, and it's driving the air out of my lungs. I could see the bubbles, and I thought, man, I can really use that air. Because I took a big gulp of air before, you know, he took off. But I'm, this rope strangled around my leg. It's driving me, you know, I'm drowning. I don't know what to do. So my, my first thought was, um, now I know how I'm going to die. Because I'm going to die. You know, he doesn't know I'm here. Um, I'm losing air. I'm going to drown. And so <clears throat> my next thought was, how, how are they going to have the funeral? Because, you know, there's nothing I can do, so, you know, so well, I'm just kind of hanging out, waiting to die. Nothing I could do. <laughs> so I went, well, will they have the funeral in Arizona, where I live? Will they have it in New York? So I was trying to figure that out when all of a sudden something happened to me. I, I <clears throat> was lifted up and out and went through this kind of this membrane that looked like saran wrap. And I, I went through this. And I go, oh, oh, I'm dead. So the realization is that I'm now, I'm now gone. I'm drowned. I'm dead, and and I'm being lifted up and away from that event. And the next thing I thought was, what was really interesting was there was no time. It actually was void of time, and it that began a series of concepts that no one talks about. I, I never knew the difference between time and eternity. What would that feel like? So I could feel that in my body. I could feel that, oh, there's no time here. I'm in eternity. And as I'm, I'm kind of being, it felt like I was being lifted upward and away from the planet. And I remember thinking, oh, as I, I started turning my head to look back down toward Earth. I don't know why I was doing that. I was looking back over my shoulder. And as I turned my head, I could hear, um, you don't have to worry. And it was a telepathic message that you don't have to worry about anything anymore about what's going on on Earth. And as I turned back to wonder where that voice came from, it's like everything in my life disappeared. Like I no longer was focused on anything on earth, but I was totally present in what was happening in this moment. And I, even though I didn't have a body, it felt like I had a body. So I started having sensations as if I was in my body. For example, I knew where every cell in my body was. It was vibrating. And like they had their, every cell had their own intelligence because they were all laughing. What are you guys doing? So I'm now talking to the cells of my body, which I don't have. I'm going, what are you guys? You're laughing. And they were all very excited. They were smiling and laughing. And, and I'm going, what are you guys doing? So I kind of feel like I'm looking down at my body, which I don't have, but it's the feeling I have. And I realized, oh, I now know why they're excited. We're about to meet the creator of the universe. And as I looked up, you know, you can see um, the background I have, it looks like in the background on my green screen, it looks like the earth. Yeah. So it's kind of like that. So it's like this energy body kind of came up 
from the curve of the earth. And I realized you can call this God, source, the larger consciousness system, but I had an immediate knowledge of this was the creator of the universe. And I was like in awe of, oh my God, <laughs> literally, it was like, I'm about to have an audience with the creator of the universe. So I'm about to, I'm meeting the creator of the universe. But a whole lot of things happened at the same time, but I realized that things happen telepathically. You know, that you're given this message that feels like it's in your brain, and then it becomes unpacked, and you're trying to interpret what you're hearing. So I realized I was getting information about how the universe works, you know, information about um, life and our position on why we come to Earth. You know, I was getting all this information. While that was happening, I felt like I was being shot through with love. And I don't know how to explain that, but it was the most immense total love experience that you can't even you can't even begin to understand in earth terms because the love was like um, it felt like it was being shot through me this way so it's like back and forth and then I was getting messages through my brain so all kinds of things were happening and I, I just the bliss and the love that I felt was like like you would never even think about going back to Earth. You would never think about anything that was happening on. You don't even think about Earth. You don't think about anything except this love. And it was so intense and immense. And then I started having a dialogue with God, with the Creator of the universe. And as I was thinking it in my head, he and I say he because it's it it's not a he or a she. And it's not an it. So I don't, I don't know what pronoun to use to talk about the creator of the universe, except it felt like this energy that was expansive and colorful and um, powerful. Like if the aurora borealis was God, that's what it felt like, you know, like this crackling, sparkling knowledge and love. Um, and it was like, as I was saying it, he was saying it. So I'm saying he. Um, but it would be things like, oh, my God, you're the creator of the universe. And then I heard, I am the creator of the universe. So it was happening at the same time. And it was like, oh, my God, you even know how, how many grains of sand there are in New Zealand. As he's saying, I even know how many grains of sand there are in New Zealand. And then I was immediately sent down to New Zealand on a beach and like this grain of sand was up against my eyeball and, and all of a sudden the number of grains of sand were immediately known and then I shot back up and I was like that's incredible you know? <laughs> then I realized you even know the number of hairs on my head as he was saying I even know the number of hairs on your head I mean it was like this like this unbelievable dialogue and I could see dimensions, layers, I could three, see 360 degrees, I could, you know, it was like this amazing amount of 
information. And then I realized he knew my name and my name, like my real name, like my, my actual name, like the name only God and you talk about. So he called me by my name and it was like this, uh, this love, like he, it felt like he owned, he created the entire universe just for me. Like it, it felt like that's how much love he had that he, he did all of this. Like, do you like that, Donna? <laughs> it's just like incredible. And I'm like, oh, oh my God, you know, it's just this unbelievable experience I'm having. When all of a sudden things kind of came to a stillness, not a stop, um, because not linear, but it's this freaky kind of um, sense of things because there's things over there that aren't here. So you can't talk about it because there's no concept on earth about what I was feeling and sensing and seeing. But all of a sudden it was like, um, well, what do you want to do here? <laughs> so one of, one of the degrees I have is in psychology, so I'm a teacher of psychology. So the 1970s, you know that in the, in the 70s, 1970s, if you're in psychology, they were doing all this active listening you would have to say back, so is what I hear you saying? You know, we did a lot of that in psychology. So I'm using active listening on God because I go, I go, so what I hear you saying is, do you, you want to know if I want to live or die? <laughs> it's like this big smile that he had that lit up the entire creation. Like, yeah, Donna, that's what I'm asking. But he didn't say that. He just smiled. And I go, oh, okay. You want to know if I want to live or die? Okay. Um, then, then what happened next is not anything I ever thought I would say or think of. It just came spontaneous. And I said to God, creator of the universe, I said, well, since you made me, I give the choice to you. And as soon as that happened, I just gave my choice away. So I turned my head and I went, oh, shit. You know, and I realized I just swore in front of God. <laughs> I gave away my choice. And it was like, you will go back and tell people the importance of choice for the human beings on earth, how important choice is. Because I just gave it away, meaning I wasn't getting it back. I was not going to get, I made my choice and boom, that was it. And I went, I had no idea how important choice was. When you make choices, I gave it away. And then I had to wait. And even though there's no time there, it, I, so I don't know if it was a second or a million years. I have no idea how long. But I remember being in suspense. And then the thought came, you now know what surrender means. I surrendered my choice. I had to wait. I, I didn't know what was going to happen next, but I knew over there, like a step or two away, there was it felt like there was a line, and that if I crossed that line, if I was taken across that line, I wouldn't come back. Like I, it was going to be dead, dead. So I knew the difference between near dead and dead, dead. You know, so I'm still in this kind of near dead. I'm actually dead. I'm drowned, but I'm not dead, dead. Like I had a chance to come back, and I remember just being in suspense. And then it felt like, you know, when I was in suspense, it felt like my body was like this. 
And then all of a sudden I became unhinged, like I was being held by some thing. You know, I, I, again, I don't know how to explain that. But all of a sudden I was falling backwards, back to earth. Like, like um, I'm sorry, like, um, I, so I'm falling backwards and I hear this. I actually hear this. I hear, good answer. As I'm falling back and I'm laughing. You know, so I, we were laughing and having such great fun. All of a sudden I'm falling back to earth and boom, I'm snapped back in my body and I'm going, what was that? What was that? What just happened there? Well, I'm back in my body and I'm drowning. And then all of a sudden the boat stops. And later my brother-in-law said he felt a hand on his shoulder, tapped his shoulder. And no one was there. And he turned around, but he could see something was happening with the bullet was funny. So he stopped the boat. And I go, oh, my God, I can go to the surface. So I put my hands up and I felt human hands under my armpits lifting me up. As I'm saying, how are they going to get the rope undone? It's it's the knot. It's strangled. You can't undo this knot. And all of a sudden, I felt it undo. It became undone. And when I when I was back at my college, where I was teaching, I was a college professor. I was asking the physics department. I asked my one friend. We were doing the physics. You know, like my weight, the boat traveled. This, how much the boat. You know, we did all the physics. And he said it was physically impossible for that rope to come undone. I said, it came undone. So I'm floating up to the top, and I thought the human hand, I thought the hands were my sister, and I thought, she couldn't have swam that fast, however far he drugged me, and I got to the surface. No one was there, and I just spit out tons of water because I was drowned. And uh, then my sister... So I'm, I'm there, and, and the rope came undone, and I was like, oh, my God, I'm living, I'm living, I'm going to be alive. That's crazy. And then my sister came swimming up, and um, they got me out of the, the The rest of the story is they got me off the lake. Um, my leg wasn't amputated, but it was strangled. It was a strangulation. So the rope strangled my leg to the bone, and so the doctors were like, how did you not rupture your, your femoral artery? Your femoral artery should have been ruptured. You should have died. The lake was full of bacteria. Um, I should have had lung infections, pneumonia. I should have, you know, drowned after the fact. But, um, yeah, I I have an artificial knee. I have um, all kinds of still health issues with my leg, but it's attached. And my sister and I were pilots, so when we were out on the lake, I said to her, you know, I already was imaging my new leg. You know, they, they were going to, it was amputated. So I grabbed my calf because if I twitched, it would kick my calf off. But I wanted to have the other half of my leg. Maybe they could reattach it. But it, it actually wasn't an amputation. But I said to my sister, think about all, all the ways I can fly the airplane with my new leg. So it was just, that was my near death experience. There's more to it, but that's enough. When you're meeting this this guy who uh, you call the creator of the universe, but you don't so much refer to that creator as God, is it is that because it's too much of a, a religious thing? If you say God, it's got a lot of baggage with it, hasn't it? I think so. I think it, it was, um, he didn't refer to himself as God. He referred to him, you know, I guess because it was in my language, I said the creator of the universe. And once I said that or thought that, 
that's how he referred him to himself. But again, it wasn't a he. But yeah, it was a sense of that it was, um, it was, I, I didn't want to get caught up, I don't want to get caught up in the language of the vocabulary of earth because of, like you said, words fail us. Words are thieves. They fail us. They, they don't, they can't possibly contain what I experienced. But other people can say God. I could say God, but. And is also the word love, is it almost like that's the wrong word for what you felt because it was so powerful? Yeah, it, it was. It's a, it's a feeling of love, what, what you think love might be, but greater. So everything over there is, it's, so you have a designer experience. So it's, if you talk to all these people in near death and you wonder why all the near deaths are different, it's because they're all designer. Like, creator of the universe wants to design the death that would fit you. So he and I had great fun. We laughed. We were, you know, that was like the love that we had was designed for Donna. Like the, this love between me and God is, is designed for me and God. So I don't know how to explain that. So everyone will have a designer experience in death and um, in love. But the love was, um, it was, it was immense. It was powerful. It was tangible. It was um, beyond comprehension. It's, it's why people say they want, that you wouldn't want to consciously go back to earth because everything here is dull and hard and um, takes time. <laughs> it's linear. It's, it hurts. Do you feel that this individual, this creator, was almost kind of like us, like an individual, an individual soul in a way, but just a lot more, I'm trying to think of the right, I wouldn't say powerful. I don't know if powerful would be the right word. Or do you think that it's something very far removed from just an individual consciousness? Yes, it's not. It's not. An, it's not an individual consciousness. It's the source. And remember, I said there's more to it than I was saying because when I was, there was a point where I could feel myself drifting toward oneness as I was waiting. Um, you remember, I said there felt like there was a line. But I felt like I was becoming part of a oneness. Um, I, don't know how to, I don't know how to explain this. It's like he's this, he's everything. He's everything. Everything. He's everywhere. He's in us. He's in ourselves. He's in everything. He's in stardust. He's in planets. It's like he owns everything. Like he's like he said. I know even the grains of sand in New Zealand. It's like if he if he was an accountant, he knew where everything was. <laughs> you know, he, could, you know he, he knew the inventory. <laughs> the inventory was him. And But it's not like that. It's But it's like that. That's the closest thing I think I can use as a metaphor to try to explain that. So he was, he's everything. He's everywhere. He's everything. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, for you, as your perception of yourself and how you felt, was there a difference between how you are now and how you were before when you're in the body and when you come out you have come more contact with your soul or your spirit and so it's almost like you're a different individual you have to be you can't you can't go over there and not come back changed because no matter what you were taught whatever religion you have or whatever you were taught whatever dogmas or beliefs it's like nothing that I was taught or believed or thought that I saw or was told or felt was never, it's not the same. So when I came back, it takes a while. If you talk to, I don't know if you've had this with your near-death experiencers, but some of them feel like it takes years to figure out what happened. You know, like to, to kind of process everything that occurred takes years over here. And so the, the whole thing, when I went through that veil or that saran wrap or whatever that was, um, something changed when I came back, like on my skin, like something in my skin is different. So I, I can feel time on my skin. I don't know how to explain that. Um, like time ticking, I can almost feel time ticking on my, on my skin. You know, like I know I have a great sense of time here. I can almost hear the seconds. I can almost hear a tick, you know, like, you know, tick, tick. You know, it's this weird thing. And then I can feel, sometimes I see, but mostly feel connections with people and animals and the earth when I'm outside walking in the forest or something like that. I can, I can almost see tendrils or threads or something coming off my skin, connecting me to the trees or to people or it's this funny thing that I never talk about because it's weird. It's like this times the, the connections just pop up and I go, oh my God, we're connected. We're physically, it feels like physically, but it's more like spiritually connected or it's kind of like the oneness I was feeling as I was waiting for my answer. Almost sounds like what you could do when you were small and you could read people's minds in a way that you had that connection then, but the near-death experience, you know, like, turned up the volume on it. Absolutely. That's, that's a great way to say it. I, that's what I, yeah, I think so. Do you have a feeling that perhaps the near-death experience was planned? Maybe it was part of your life plan before you were born that, you know, you were going to get to a point where you, or perhaps the creator was looking down on you and thought, you know what, I, I need to have a word here with Donna because she's not quite getting it. I would agree with all of that. That's why I want to do a past life regression with you, Simon. I want to, you know, it's like, um, yeah, your your life, your belief system, or I don't know what you would call that, how you organize yourself for the planet. It's like, yeah, I feel like um, with my guides, we probably agreed to some near-death experience in this lifetime. Um, I think that my whole life was set up for um, to have great accomplishments. So I've been able to do a lot of things in my life from being an 
hospital chaplain to a professional athlete to being in the American Basketball Hall of Fame to playing musical instruments to being a writer, uh, artist. All those things that I've been able to experience in this lifetime was to write a book and tell people that you can accomplish anything or there all the possibilities, all the options that we have, choices. So it seems like the theme for my life was to tell people about options and choices and the importance of um, choices that you make. I think that's what I was sent here to do. Something else, while you were explaining the death experience, I wanted to ask, is that you left your body and you, you went somewhere else, but then you talked about your behavior there as though you still had a body. Like you were saying, you looked over your shoulder. Was that it? Or do you feel like you were perhaps like a light being that was in the shape of a human, or it was like you still had some kind of human body? No, it was a, it, I got to see my light being, my light self, my energy, vibrational self. I'm kind of like this blue-green spectrum being. But it feels like, Bob Monroe said it best. I came across one of his descriptions. I, I don't know which of his books he talked about. But it's like you're in a jello mold. So when you make jello and you put it in a mold, when you take the mold off, you're kind of in that shape. That's what it felt like that. I was in this shape of Donna in the beginning. So it, even though there's no time, it took time for me to realize I'm no longer Donna. So I felt like I was still in that shape, like I still had the mold of the body of Donna. So that's why I said I looked down at my body. I looked over my shoulder. I had thoughts through my head. So it's this funny thing that happens, and I don't know how to... It's just a weird thing. But in the beginning, I did have a sense of my body, even though I knew I didn't have a body. I knew I didn't have a body, but things were felt. I felt things in my body, and, it, and I use words like, you know, you know, I could feel it in my heart. It shot through my body. Um, so, yeah, it's this kind of, for me, this my experience was this kind of jello mold. I came out of my shape of my Donna, so I had the first few experiences of my shape with Donna, and then it, as it continued, I began to be who I really was, especially when he used my name. I realized this was who I really am in front of God. So when I would have, if I would go with you with past life regressions, and I, you would say, okay, I was a person in the 1800s is this way, or 1700s, whatever, but the essence of Donna, the essence of who I really am would be in each of those reincarnations. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And so the name, I'm not going to ask you what that name is because it, it seems like it's quite private. Very private. People have wanted to know that. And I go, well, yeah. then you're missing the point of the whole experience of why I came back. Uh, but it seems, I suppose we all have some kind of a name like that, a soul name. Once uh, I did a Life Between Lives, I think it was, and I've, I found out what my name would be. But it just seems so um, distant from me. It didn't feel like I was connected to that name at all. Did you, did, when you heard it, did you recognize it? Did you think, oh, yeah, that's me? Absolutely. Immediate. Immediately. I knew. And it felt like, oh, you know, like, oh. 
hugging a warm, you know, like a <laughs> warm teddy bear. It was like such a completeness. And when you are there and there's no sense of time and you have this idea of returning back, if there's no time, do you get, could you perhaps have returned back to your body at a diff, in a different year? Yeah, time doesn't exist there and I don't know how to, yeah, so Kenny, Kenny and I in our YouTube channel um, on Reluctant Messenger released, we talk about time, but it, it's... Um, I don't know. I don't know. Again, I'm here to talk about possibilities, so I'm open to what that might mean. And so I, I did hear you say um, that when you had just died, it was kind of like there was a lot to do, that there were people to contact and there was healing. So when, if, whenever any of us dies, it sounds like almost like, well, there's a lot of paperwork to do and you've got to go and see these people and those people and make sure everything's put in place for your time in the afterlife. That's correct, yeah. I had, I was having, my experience was with me and God. That was my experience, and, and my experience with information. So those were my experiences, but I had a knowledge of what would, what would happen if I hadn't come back, and it's very busy. Lots of things to do, guides to see, people to see, you know, healings that, um, yeah. It's a tough life here. A lot of beings are, admire us because we chose to be earthlings because it's such a tough world. It's immediate feedback. If you screw up, you're going to know it right away. You know, someone's going to say something to you, or people are going to be very critical. You know, it's just a tough life here. So to choose to come back here and experience this, there's a lot of admirations and a lot of questions that people have about. They want to know about your experience or that you had made agreements like you agreed that you were going to explore um, this part of life or you, you made decisions I'm going to explore this part of life. And so I chose in the latter half of my life to explore what love means. What does it mean to really be loved? What does it mean to be really empathetic or compassionate? Because my life, I spent a lot of time volunteering. I volunteered when I was young with my father with the Red Cross. And then I did a lot of soup kitchens and work with um, the homeless. And I've done a lot of work. I've done a lot of volunteering for about 50 years on this planet. And so I wanted to explore love. What does that mean to really love to the point of that you don't want anything back? Like you don't do something. I'm doing something for you, so you do something for me. It's more like... I'm doing something for you, and I could care less if anything comes back to me. The love that I have for you, that's what I wanted to explore. So I have reports to give on what that, you know, what my results were. It sounds very busy there, and I'm sure, like me, there are people who hear this and think, oh, man, I just want to rest. Can't, when, I, when I go into the afterlife, couldn't I just have a rest for a while? Well, there's a, there are healing centers, so yeah, there are rest places depending on what your choices were. So, for example, uh, a medium told me my, my previous life before this. I didn't know. They told me. It's not like a past regression I would do with you where you hypnotize me and I tell you. This person was telling me about my, my past life right before this and that I was killed, you know, and I was um, a, a young 
child and infant and i was a victim of abuse to the point where i was killed and i wanted to explore that aspect of human nature of what it was like this violence and so i came into this world is to find out if i didn't if i you know because i had some abuse in this life this current life and it but it didn't kill me like it did in the last one and what what would i do with that well how would a person who was abused how would they live out their life so i could then explore um violence yet what capacity does a human being have to come out of that violent background into a life of love so that's that's what i had that's what i was exploring so i explored what is it like to live a life full of love and that's that's the reports i'll have to give can you tell us about your youtube channel with candy sanderson yeah so uh candy wrote a couple of books the reluctant messenger and the reluctant uh, messenger returns and it's talking about her experiences as a psychologist and how her life was changed through um, contact with the other side that she thought she was losing her mind you know, like what am i talking to myself is that real or you know who am i who's talking who's inside my head talking and so i i, I got to talking to her and it seems as if those are the people that i like to talk to you know scientists you know, people whose life were on a certain trajectory, and then all the all of a sudden, guides or uh, beings or experiences um, made them realize that there's were more than the fus- were more than our physical being. And so, I had her on the podcast, and then my guide said, you know, suggest this YouTube. And what we do on the YouTube channel is pick apart her book, so it's like a book review. Um, so it's called uh, The Reluctant Messenger Unleashed. And we go behind the story. We go behind what's on the book. So if you read the book and listen to the YouTube channel, you get the behind the scenes. Like, what were you thinking when that happened, Candy? This is written in the book, but what was really happening to you? Or what did you see? So that's what we're doing with that channel. Okay. And you have a podcast, of course. I was a guest on that. Yeah. <laughs> I have the Exploring Consciousness podcast because... In a meditation, I came out of a meditation, and my guides tell, told me they're telling me about this podcast, and I couldn't write fast enough. So I always have these reams of paper near me to to um, jot down what my guides are telling me or suggesting. So they suggested this whole podcast, and so I had to write down. And so I do mind mapping. I don't know if you people that are real visual. They think in terms of mind maps, so sometimes I write in mind maps like it means, um, it almost looks like a vector diagram. You know, like start here, talk to these people, start here, talk to these people, have this is the theme, this is the tagline, these are the people you start with, and then we'll, we'll take you on the journey on who to ask next. We'll, in, we'll keep introducing you to people, and you're to, you're to get this out so that people can see that we're more than just physical. And if they want to explore that awareness, they could start with Dr. Joe or they could start, don't start with Tom Campbell, but, you know, start with somebody not as, you know, Tom Campbell will rip your mind apart. He's so brilliant. Um, but, yeah, they gave me the whole podcast. And then they continue to give me the people I'm supposed to interview. So I've had a lot of people ask me, can I be on your podcast? And I'll quick ask, 
can they be on my podcast? And the answer is yes or no. Let's see. Go great. Thanks. It's a no. Now how do I have to tell this person? You know. So I got I got through them. They checked the clipboard, oh, yeah, and I was on the list. You're on the list. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Oh. Yeah, you're very very prominent on the list. Oh, excellent. So what have you done as a musician? Is this a, a hobby or do you take it further? Oh, yeah. I'm a guitarist, Simon. <laughs> should be in your band. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's um, more of whatever the guides want me to do. So I started playing the guitar when I was in high school. So obviously I played a long time. And, uh, yeah, then they came up, we wanted you to play the flute, okay, and then... Uh, Again, it's the feeling of, these were feelings in my body, like, oh, I get excited. And they go flute, and I go, oh, you know, like Candy's cold chills. She gets cold chills. I get, I get excitement. So, yeah. And then um, the Australian Aborigines are really, Aboriginal people on the planet are very important to me. I feel very soul connection to them. So the Native American flute, the didgeridoo, Native instruments. So I play for... Um, my soul thanks a lot for coming onto the podcast it's been great talking to you thank you simon for having me i hope that it's like my music my native american teacher says when they he goes he played in carnegie hall cornell kinder connect and he's a fabulous musician and he says he's now mature to the point where he goes out before he plays he quietly says a prayer i would like my music to touch one person today maybe change their life and that's what i feel about this podcast Thank you for having me on. Thank you for the work you do because together I hope that we've changed at least one person on the planet, maybe help them on their path. Well, thanks a lot for coming on. It's been great talking to you. Thanks, Sam. And that was an interview with Donna Rebido. Now, a great way to support the podcast is to sign up on Patreon. Just go to patreon.com forward slash podcast or click on the button on my homepage at pastliveshypnosis.co.uk. This is the free one-hour version of the episode. The extended episode is one hour, 25 minutes. And if you join the $2 a month tier, you get an extended episode every month. If you join the $5 a month tier, you will have access to an extended episode every week and the back catalogue of extended episodes. Also, if you're a patron, you get a 25% discount when you book a past life regression session with me. And if you'd like to have a free consultation call, you can also book that through my website, pastliveshypnosis.co.uk And if you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or via your favourite podcast app to make sure that you don't miss out on any episodes. And thanks for listening.